Hello, and welcome to my podcast, Where the Dark Corners Are. Travels hostess. Last week we spoke of the master of suspense, Sir Alfred Hitchcock. Sadly, at the time of our podcast, we learned that his daughter Patricia had died. Now, Patricia, as some of you know, had actually a few roles in his movies. Barbara in the movie Strangers on a Train being one of them. And in honor of Miss uh, Patricia's passing, I actually took time in the course of the last week to enjoy that movie all over again. And I do actually think it's a very good movie. The poster is not Hitchcock's finest, the movie poster, but the movie is very, very good. Now, like I said before, Hitchcock was from England, Langton Stone to be exact, which is actually a suburb town in East London. So... Since we're so close to the bright city lights of London, let's take a gander in the old city off the Thames. Believe it or not, London has been around for over 2,000 years and was founded and occupied by the Romans. During the 3rd century, the Romans named it London Inium. Now, with the fall of Rome and the Empire in the 5th century, Anglo-Saxons took over. Then the Vikings arrived, then the Normans came, and everybody was basically kung fu fighting until William Duke of Normandy was crowned King of England and was like, everybody simmer down because we're going to build a castle, which would become the Tower of London, and it's going to be cool, so just calm it. Now, over the next couple hundred years, of course, London will suffer from overcrowding, devastating fires, the Blitz, thanks to the goddamn Nazis, and the Great Plague. Not to mention COVID-2020. Anywho, thanks to its lengthy history and being a repeated place of death and destruction, London is quite haunted. So, let's go London Dark. So, our first place on our Londoninium tour is Westminster Abbey. Now, I've actually been to London, and yes, of course, I checked out Westminster Abbey. Now, to be fair, having been to the Notre Dame prior to it being burned down, I wasn't sure how well Westminster was actually going to compare. But Westminster actually is quite lovely in its own right. And it, too, has quite a lengthy history. Now, about 1080, a church was founded at this very site. But the current church that we know and see today actually began construction in 1245 by the orders of King Henry III. Over the years, nearly 3,000 people and 17 monarchs will be buried 
in the grounds of Westminster Abbey. And believe it or not, the Abbey is quite haunted. So let's talk about the ghosts who are hanging around this Abbey. We'll start with John Bradshaw. Now, John Bradshaw was a 17th century judge, and as the Lord President of the High Court of Justice, it was he who ordered the death of King Charles I. After King Charles' execution, Bradshaw would live on for another 10 years, dying on Halloween night in 1659. However, seeking revenge for playing a part in King Charles' death, King Charles II ordered that Bradshaw's decomposing body be hung from the Tyburn gallows some 14 months after his death. Well, naturally, his corpse was failing to hang up, hold up, however you want to put it. And so Bradshaw's head was then put on a spike and placed at Westminster Hall as a warning to others. And for the rest of his remains, they were buried basically unceremoniously beneath the gallows. So today, it is said that the ghost of John Bradshaw, who once kept an office in the Abbey, can be seen restlessly walking the gallery on the anniversary of Charles I's execution. But, like I said before, the the Abbey has many haunts, so good old Bradshaw is not alone. Let's talk about Benedictus, a 16th century monk who was murdered during an attempted robbery at the church. This guy kind of kept his cool until about the early 1900s, and it is said he likes to float about, basically dissipating into the building. But this monk apparently is rather chatty, and it has been reported that he likes to chat it up at great length with tourists and, you know, getting into the mix of the crowds. And instead of floating away, one of his favorite tricks is sometimes just to vanish into thin air. Now, as I said earlier, there are thousands of people buried here, including the tomb of the unknown warrior. During the First World War, a nameless soldier was taken from a mass unmarked grave in a battlefield of which he had fallen and was reinterred at the Abbey on November 11th, 1920. And when they when they reburied him, they actually surrounded this unknown soldier with the earth from the battlefield, and then he was covered with this lovely Belgium marble. Now, in case you don't know this, November 11th is actually a vital day in world history. It is considered in Europe... As Armitage Day, and you know, hoping that there would never be another World War afterwards. Sadly, we all know that didn't really work out because World War II came approximately 20 years later. But either way, he's buried in the flooring, and no one's permitted to walk on the grave. And it is said that when the Abbey is silent, when there's hardly anyone around, The soldier's apparition will manifest and he will stand in a resolute manner, bowing his head as if he is in prayer and then fading away. As I said before, I've personally been to Westminster Abbey and it's very interesting because you have a 
kind of a trifecta situation. We have a, actually a lot of things going on. But one of the things that actually astonished me the most was that Queen Elizabeth the first, because the second one's still alive, Queen Elizabeth the first is actually buried with her sister, Queen Mary. And, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I am not interested in sharing my tomb for all eternity with my sisters. But either way, this was thanks to James the first who succeeded Elizabeth when Elizabeth died because she had no heirs. And if you are very familiar with one of the th- the things that Elizabeth had to do during her reign, she had to have Mary, Queen of Scots, again, the Queen of Scotland, executed during the course of her reign when she learned that Mary, Queen of Scots, was actually trying to, you know, overthrow her. So James, who is the son of Mary, Queen of Scots, decided to give his mother a glorious burial and then just basically stuffing Elizabeth with her sister. And, and in case you are wondering, this is actually the same Abbey, Prince William, married Kate Middleton. So when you're in London next, darlings, you know, give it a shot. Go check it out. Go see the glorious entombment of Mary Queen of Scots and, you know, poor Elizabeth and Mary are stuffed together. But, uh, and, you know, obviously pay a little homage to the tomb of the unknown soldier. Moving on, let's talk theater. The theater. We'll start with the Theater Royale Drury Lane. Now, where it currently resides, there's actually been a theater in existence on that very spot since 1663, and it is considered the oldest working theater in London. The current building was built in 1812, and it is considered extremely haunted. So, who are still playing their parts from beyond the six-feet curtain? (laughs) Well, apparently, a man by the name of Joseph Grimaldi is still hanging around, or at least his head is. Grimaldi was a well-known pantomime and a clown whose career as a pantomime basically wreaked havoc on his body and hence his health. So by 1818, he was unable to perform, as he did in his younger years, and this basically left him destitute. When he died in 1835, he had this strange request, and I couldn't really find a reason why, but he had this strange request to have his head removed from the rest of his body, and they granted his wish. They they severed the head. And would you believe that people have reported seeing a disembodied white face floating about the theater? And if that's not enough, frightening people with his disembodied floating head, he is known to give actors, cleaners, and ushers a mischievous kick from time to time. Now, he's not alone. This is just like the first clown clowning around after the afterlife. Another clown known to haunt the Theater Royale is a man by the name of Dan Leno. Leno apparently had this very famous clog dancing routine along with his portrayal of the pantomime dame. Sadly, during his popular years, Leno apparently lost his marbles and literally went mad. So, at the young age of 43, 
he died in 1904. But his spirit apparently has never left the theater. It has been reported that sometimes a rhythmic drumming sound coming from his former dressing room can be heard, and it is believed that this drumming that they're hearing is actually the sound of his ghost rehearsing his famous clog dancing routine over and over again. It's kind of charming to think that he wants to get a perfect even in the afterlife. In addition to this, when Lena was alive, he also suffered from incontinence. As a means to cover the stench, he would actually wear lavender perfume. And nowadays, when actors are on stage, several of them experiencing the smell of lavender from an unknown source, like they'll be in the midst of, you know, their own version of Hamlet or Macbeth or Romeo and Juliet, and suddenly there would be a lavender scent just appearing out of nowhere. And if that's not enough, Leno has been known to appear to his fellow thespians, his fellow actors, in the mirror of his own former dressing room. But these pantomime performers are not alone. There once was a very long-lived Irish actor by the name of Charles Macklin. Apparently, Macklin was a regular performer at the theater, and like the two pantomimes, he has not taken his final bow at the stage. His ghost is often seen either in the backstage or is wandering around the corridor where he was actually killed by a fellow actor over an argument over a wig, okay? <laughs> I gotta tell you, that must have been some damn wig to get killed over. But either way, but for all of their performances and their antics, None of these three are as famous as the Man in Grey. Now, the Man in Grey is actually not a performer. He is an audience member. And as such, he will materialize on the upper circle and cross from one side of the audience and walk to the other side where he will vanish into a wall. He is described as a young man. With a powdered wig, he sports a white ruffled shirt, he, he rocks out in riding boots, he's got his sword, he's wearing a gray riding cloak, and to top it all off, he sports a three-cornered hat. And apparently, he limps. He has been seen by cast and crew alike, including cleaning crews. In fact, there's actually kind of a well-known story of how a newly hired cleaning member saw him sitting in the audience and approached him. And as they were approaching him, the man in gray just simply disappeared right in front of the cleaning person's eyes. But the cast and crew, they're actually not alone. He's actually been seen by members of the audience and other famous actors, by firemen, by theater managers, and by other staff members of the Theater Royale. Now, again, who this man is, it, they don't know. However, during the renovations in, in the 1870s, workmen broke through into a hidden room behind the very wall the gray man likes to just disappear into. And inside, they actually found the skeleton of a man surrounded by the remnants of gray cloth 
And he had a dagger basically stuck into his ribcage. Now, based on his clothes and, you know, some probably some intel gathered at that point in time, it is believed that the man had lived during the time of Queen Anne's reign and that he was probably involved with an actress of the theater at that time. However, chances are he was not vying for this actress's love and affection alone, and it is believed that he was murdered by her actor lover in a fit of jealousy, and somehow, some way, her lover managed to hide his body in the recesses of the wall until it was discovered during the renovations of the 1870s. Now, over time, it's come to believe that he only appears at the beginning of shows that will be successful. So now if they see him, they consider it a good omen. So seeing him is a good thing. They do not fear him. And therefore, he's kind of treated with revere and affection. And you can go to the theater. I, I mean, I'm not sure exactly what shows are currently running. I didn't have the opportunity to check this out. But... Believe it or not, you know, pay your pounds because in England they use the currency of the British pound and you might get lucky and see the man in gray. Now, believe it or not, plays are not the only form of theatres in London. Let's talk about London's old operating theatre. And by operating, I mean operation, like medical operations. You see, you used to be able to watch doctors perform medical operations, if you want to call it that, on live patients. Located in a former church, yes, I said that, a church, this operating theater is actually considered the oldest surviving operating theater in the whole of Europe. So let me set this horrible scene. Aside from the fact that you can actually watch these live operations, these doctors would actually perform these procedures without any anesthetic and antiseptic, relying basically on giving patients a copious amount of alcohol to keep them calm. So basically, they got them drunk in order to perform without <laughs> something to put them to sleep and something to clean the wounds afterwards. Now, prior to becoming an operation theater in 1812, like I said, it was a church, but it was also where St. Thomas's Hospital would dry and store its herbs and medicine. And seeing that it had ample space and St. Thomas's Hospital needing more space, it basically became an extension of St. Thomas's Hospital existing women's ward and was designed with the intent of hosting the surgeries there. And again, by hosting, I mean students would come and visit and view the operations in progress and learn how to perform these procedures by the, and I'm using air quotes here, skillful surgeons. Now, again, this being an extension of the St. Thomas Hospital's women's ward, majority of the patients that went under the knife for these operations were actually mostly impoverished females who chose to have these operations with this audience 
as a means to receive their much-needed medical treatment because otherwise they could not afford. And again, with neither anesthetic or antiseptic available to them, you know, to assist them, most of these women died. Now, in 1862, both the Herb Garrett and the operating theater's doors are basically closed. And the theater operations and the Garrett actually get relocated elsewhere. So basically, the building sits undisturbed and left to its own decay until 1956 when Raymond Russell rediscovered it in his research in the history of St. Thomas Hospital. He actually ends up gaining access to the building via a ladder through the hospital roof into the church. And that's when he's like, oh my God, this place is awesome. Now, today, the building has been restored to a museum, and thanks to its its horrible history, its lengthy history uh, as a church, because apparently a church had existed on the ground since the 1600s, and its high death toll, it is said that this museum is chock full of ghosts. So, who is haunting the theater? Well, we'll start with the elderly lady, Donned in black. Uh, She is actually seen in the operating theater. She is described as being extremely sad. She has been seen crying, weeping, wailing. And, of course, there are theories as to why is she there? Why is she crying so hard? Some think that she is mourning the loss of a loved one who died in the theater. Uh, But others actually theorized she might have died whilst being operated on. In addition to the woman in black, there is actually a woman in white who roams the halls. Again, like the woman in black, they don't know who she is, but they do see her often floating about, roaming about in a glowing white dress. But these women are not alone in the paranormal activity that have happened here. There's actually been a recorded incident where staff member who was setting up the museum for opening heard like a really loud noise coming from the original herb garret and when she walked into the room she noticed that a single cabinet door and drawer inside the museum had been open and she was certain these things were closed and apparently the the drawers and the doors are a little hard to open and she of course was alone in the museum Nervous and upset, she, you know, bolts, she flees, and when she came back with another staff member, they found that all of the drawers had been open. And if that's not enough, people have reported hearing the cries and the screams of the patients who are in pain in in the corners of the attic, on the staircases, in the theater, basically. Again, they just gave them alcohol, and once the alcohol wore off... And there was nothing, you know, to clean their wounds and keep them from developing an infection. A lot of people died. Now, this place is located at 9A St. Thomas Street and St. Thomas Hospital. And you can actually check it out for yourself. Now, obviously, when you're in London or England, rather, one of the things you do actually want to opt to see is the castle. And England (laughs) has 
your pick, basically. There are so many wonderful castles. There are so many wonderful estates that are, you know, available to view and to tour in England. And, I mean, I have no doubt at some point, if they're not all haunted, they should be. I mean, they've been around for hundreds of years. But one place that is well known to be haunted is the Hampton Court Palace. Now, the Hampton Court Palace actually should sound a little familiar to you because I do believe the royals use it to this day. But the Hampton Court Palace was originally built in 1514, and it was built for a gentleman by the name of the Cardinal Thomas Wolsey. Now, if this name sounds familiar, even just a little bit, a little bit of history. The Cardinal was once basically the right-hand man of King Henry VIII. And when King Henry VIII was, you know, falling out of love with his wife, Catherine of Aragon, and falling into love with Anne Boleyn, it was Wolsey who broke up the, the potential love match between Anne Boleyn and Henry Percy. And Anne, who knew who was behind their breakup, never ever forgave the Cardinal for his intervention and derailment of what would have been a love match. But it also, if he hadn't done it, then uh, Queen Elizabeth I would never have been born. Point is, the Hampton Court Palace, again, was originally built for him. And when the Cardinal basically was executed in the name of treason, which he did commit, and believe it or not, Emmeline had nothing to do with. It was all Cardinal Wolsey's own doing. The palace went to Henry VIII for ownership. So, as I said before, it was built in 1514. So this palace has literally been standing over 500 years. And naturally, it is haunted. And in fact, oddly enough, it's haunted with a few of King Henry's, the, the eighth, is wise. So let's talk Jane Seymour. Jane was the third wife of Henry after, Henry the eighth, after he beheaded Anne Boleyn. Jane was 17 years old when they got married, and I think, I want to say, Henry was either 43 or 49. He was, like, really old, and he's marrying this, you know, young lady. I'm not even sure Jane Seymour was literate, although I think she did know how to spell her name. Anywho, she was in the midst of giving birth to the much-wanted son, Prince Edward, in 1537, when she dies at Hampton Court from complications after giving birth to this much-wanted prince of Henry VIII. And it is said that you can actually see her walking through the courtyard of the clock court with a lighted taper. So she's, she's walking around and she's got her own little lamp to, to basically make her way around. Now, another wife and Henry VIII, because he had like, I want to say, six wives? Well, it's his fifth wife, Catherine Howard, who is also seen haunting Hampton Court. She's actually seen in a white dress, and she tends to float down in the gallery towards the doors of the royal pew. And it is said that when she reaches it, she'll, like, turn back 
and scream and then pass through the doors. In fact, people have seen Catherine acting like this, acting unroyal, if you will, in the afterlife, have been known to actually faint. Now, just so we're clear, Catherine Howard, well, again, was also a fairly young wife by comparison, and she was executed for uh, committing adultery. And adultery against the king is considered a lose-your-head kind of scenario, you know, treason against the king, cheated the king, and off with her head. So, and that was kind of, you know, Henry's favorite thing, is just, just to chop off their heads. Anywho, another ghost that is also known to haunt Hampton Court is Sybil Penn, and she is known as the Lady in Grey. She was apparently the nurse to the young prince, and she was buried in the church. So when the church was pulled down, her spirit got a little pissy, apparently. And nowadays she's seen roaming around the castle, especially in the places where she actually lived. You know, she had her own rooms. And in addition to that, people have also heard the sound of a spinning wheel behind a wall in the palace. And when they did some reconstruction, they demolished a, a, a wall that they were hearing the spinning, and they actually found a room with an aged spinning wheel in it. Now, in addition to the ladies, apparently there is the ghost of a dog. This dog apparently likes to hang around and... Thomas Wolseley's ex-closet. So I don't know if that was like his favorite place or where he slept. But either way, the ghost dog has been seen there quite often. And, I mean, okay, so Hampton Court is slightly out, but it's just a train ride, guys. You could take a train, the tube, take a tube, and head down to Hampton Court and check it out. And, yes, you can actually visit, again, they use the British Pound there in Britain. But let's talk about one of the most haunted castles of them all in London. I am, of course, referring to the Tower of London. Now, like I said before, it was built when the Norman king basically took over. And it's been in existence since 1066. So we're talking oh, almost... A little shy, a little 40 years shy of a 1,000 years old. And there were so many myths, so many mysteries, and needless to say, it definitely has its share of ghosts. And, and there's a valid reason for that. I mean, it wasn't just a palace. It was also a royal jail. It has been a place of torture. It has been a place of medieval torture. I know I said torture earlier, but... There's torture, and then there's medieval shit torture. That's just terrible. And it was a place where they kept political prisoners, and they hosted, obviously, a plethora of executions as well. And I remember very clearly as a child, whenever we would get specials uh, from England, ghost paranormal tours of England, the Tower of London was usually featured. So let's talk about who is still hanging around, headless or not, at the Tower of London. We'll start with one of the most famous ghosts, Anne Boleyn, Queen Anne Boleyn, that is. Now, as you know, she was the second wife of Henry VIII. 
she was basically trumped up on false, fake, phony charges of treason against her husband. The most prevalent crime that she was accused of was adultery, and she was accused of incest, you know, having sex with her brother George, which I do not believe. Henry just wanted to get rid of her, basically. She was in prison there, and even when Henry was like, hey, Anne, I know you gave me this redheaded daughter, Elizabeth. I want to annul the marriage, so let's do this. I'll let you live. And Anne Boleyn stuck to her guns because she did not want the marriage annulled because if she had the marriage annulled, that meant Queen Elizabeth would be considered a bastard. And Anne Boleyn did not want that for her daughter. So she stuck to her guns, and so Henry lopped off her head in... 1536, she was beheaded, and he actually brought in a French executioner, someone very professional, to do the job. And it is said that the ghost of Anne Boleyn has been seen at the Queen's house, which was actually a house Henry actually built for Anne, and has been seen leading a procession down the aisle of the chapel that is located in the Tower of London, as well as her headless body wandering not only the corridors, the interior corridors, but the actual grounds, especially where the gallows, where she lost her head. So she's hanging around on the grounds. She's roaming around. She's checking it all out. And she's like, hmm, I think I won. Because her daughter, just as she had hoped, does become one of the most prolific rulers in all of England. And then, of course, I'm referring to Queen Elizabeth I. Now, of course, there's always got to be some sort of mysterious person. There is a mysterious lady in white who is also said to be haunting the White Tower. And she apparently likes to stand in the window waving to the children. I'm like, hello, everybody. They don't know who she is. She's just the lady in white, you know, in her little tower saying hello. <laughs> hello. There are reports of Guy Fawkes, the guy who threatened to blow up London Parliament. His ghost is hanging around. There is the ghost King Henry VI. He actually was assassinated while he was supposedly kneeling in prayer in the Wakefield Tower. And it is said that on the anniversary of his death, his ghost actually appears pacing around the same exact spot where he met his terrible and shankful and and apparently he hangs around until the last stroke of midnight before he disappears. Now, whereas Henry had a professional, a French executioner to take off Anne's head, Apparently, there weren't professional executioners for all of the executions. So let's talk about Margaret de la Pole. Margaret, this poor girl, was the Countess of Salisbury, and she was in prison at the Tower as an enemy of the state after her son, who was a cardinal, denounced Henry VIII because when Henry VIII took over as head of the church as a Catholic cardinal and being booted, out of England, his behavior pissed off Henry VIII. So what he did was 
Because her son made it to France safe and sound, Henry snatched up poor Margaret and decided to have her executed. Now, when she was dragged to the scaffold, she refused to kneel, saying, I'm not a traitor, so I'm not kneeling because I've done nothing wrong. And, I mean, she did exactly what I would have done. When the executioner raised his axe, she panicked, she bolted, and apparently the executioner pursued her and basically began hacking her around the scaffold as she's running. He's hacking her and, until she died right in front of everybody. And this horrific moment is frozen in time because it is said that people can hear the ghostly screams of Margaret, especially at the site of the scaffolds, the site of her basically butchered and hacked, murdered, if you will. And if that's not enough, some people have actually claimed to see the reenactment of this horrible hacking event. It's like the memory has been imprinted and people have seen it play out again and again. Now we've talked about a king. We've talked about a queen. We've talked about the countess. Let's talk about the princes, affectionately named the two little princes. When young Edward V's father died, when Edward was, I believe, 14, his uncle came, his lord protector. He basically scoops up Edward V and his younger brother Richard, the Duke of York, and he takes them, you know, to quote-unquote protect them at the tower. A lot of conflicting information about this guy, but he comes off pretty ruthless. And it is said that when Edward was supposed to have his coronation in June, it never happened. And what exactly happened to these two young boys? Again, there's speculation that these two men were hired to kill them, to smother them to death, and basically allowing Richard III to seize the crown himself, which he actually does in 1483. So their fate is unknown. And the curious thing about this situation is their mother, Elizabeth, kind of gets really nice-nice with Richard once he crowns himself king. So there is some speculation that perhaps nothing really happened to the boys because in the other thing that happened, and again, I'm kind of getting a little bit of history, is when Richard took over, he basically null and void his brother's marriage to Elizabeth, thus making both Edward and Richard bastards and hence not in line for the throne. And so the theory is there is a theory that perhaps Richard let the boys go, basically get them out of here, don't let them come back. And that's how come Elizabeth went on to play nice-nice with Richard III and after the two boys disappeared and you know, moved on from there. But either way, the point is, is that the mystery remains simply because in 1674, the skeletons of two children actually get discovered buried under one of the tower stairs. And at that time, King Charles II orders a royal burial for the remains at Westminster Abbey. So they get buried there. And then in the 1930s, you know, England wants to solve this mystery. They want to figure out who are, are these the boys? Are these the guys? And they kind of do a choppy job. And we're talking the 1930s. They don't have DNA. They don't have fingerprints. They don't have anything. And so 
if that's not weird enough, as they're interring the two bodies of potentially the two princes, they actually knock a wall into their father's burial chamber and they discover two more bodies of two young children in the tomb area. And they're like, oh, well, that's odd, we're, but we're just going to seal it up. So here you have two sets of bodies. Nobody knows who they belong to. And it is my understanding, and I've tried to research this, research, research, that they eventually do do DNA testing against the remains that were found and interred at Westminster Abbey. And it was determined that the two remains, and they actually think there might be more than just two at this point in time, you know, three, four hundred years later, that the remains that they currently have are, are not related to Richard III. So here again, the, it's a long, lengthy mystery that may actually never get solved as to who was who. But either way, point is, <laughs> there have been reports of children's voices. There have been reports of two little princes seeing dressed in white nightgowns playing around the battlements. People have heard their laughter in the halls and about the grounds. So, I mean, who knows? Honestly, who knows? And, you know, in the 1930s, it's hard to determine age and whatnot. And, you know, apparently the forensic investigation conducted in the 1930s was rather primitive. Now, these people aren't the only royal the only royals to have been executed here. Let's talk about Lady Jane Grey and her husband, Guilford Dudley. Lady Jane Grey becomes the Queen of England, and I want to say she's like the Queen of England for like 11 days or something. What happened was when Henry VIII's son, Edward, becomes king, he was a rather sickly child. He was always sick his whole life, and he knew that he was not going to last. Now... At that time, he looked around and he said, you know what, um, give me your opinions as who should take the throne because he didn't want to leave it to Mary because Mary was Catholic and Edward was not. And, you know, I'm not really sure what his thoughts on were Elizabeth at this point in time. And, of course, Lady Jane Grey's father had the ear of Edward and he convinced the king, King Edward, to give her, his daughter, the crown of England. And so, that's exactly what happened. When Edward dies, the son of Henry VIII dies, Lady Jane Grey becomes queen. Along with her husband, he becomes king. And they're basically around for, for an extremely short reign before Bloody Mary, or Mary, Catherine of Aragon's daughter, says, no, no, the throne is mine, I'm taking it and arrests both Lady Jane Grey and her husband. And bear in mind, this poor girl was made to marry Dudley. And, I mean, she's only 16 at the time when she dies. And everyone gets rounded up. Mary's like, I'm not leaving any chances here. You're all going. And she literally kills several members, male members of the Grey family, by beheading. And along with Dudley, her husband, and after her family's murdered, after her husband's murdered, and she actually sees his beheaded body, you know, get rolled past her prison cell, she gets beheaded, 
And it is said now that Dudley's ghost sits and weeps at night in the t- in the Beauchamp Tower. It is said that if you look in this particular tower, he's responsible for etching the word Jane into the walls, which apparently is still visible today. And as for Jane, she has been known to basically walk amongst the battlements, and she's probably just wondering what really happened in her precious short life. So these are the the main royals that have been sadly executed at the Tower of London. I want to touch briefly on the paranormal activity related to, in my opinion, a terrible and horrific uh, situation pertaining to the Tower of London. Now, we have to remember that, you know, our perception towards the treatment of animals, you know, our humane treatment towards animals today is not necessarily an opinion and nor approach that was taken hundreds of years ago. And, of course, they didn't have YouTube to entertain, you know, the royal princesses and princes of the time. So at one point in time, the Tower of London actually used to host a variety of animals, including a poor polar bear. And so in 1210, King John basically creates this menagerie, a variety of animals, and the, they were used actually to fight for basic amusement. And again, different mentality back then. People enjoyed it. I don't know how or why. But over the years, the, the idea of having animals at the Tower of London evolved into basically a zoo where people could actually come and visit all these strange beasts, all these strange and wild animals, if you will, from all over the world. And, you know, in 1832, the Duke of Wellington eventually moves all the animals and creates an actual zoo for them. But the years of being tormented and probably cruelly treated has left its impression at the Tower of London. And today, people have heard the cries of animals that include lions and monkeys. And one guard even claims to have been chased by a spectral bear at one point in time, and when he, you know, he tried to defend himself and stab the the bear with his bayonet, the bear simply disappeared. So there's a variety of different things going on. Now, I personally have been to the Tower of London, and I've been to where you know the the gallows where Queen uh, Anne Boleyn was executed. It's like I think a fountain now, very nice, uh, you know, peaceful fountain, but. In addition to all these ghosts, guys, the current Queen of England keeps her jewelry at the Tower of London. And it they have it kind of like on an island display. So you just go, you step on these moving moving walkers. And so you just, you know, drool and gawk at these gorgeous gems that Queen Elizabeth owns now. And I'm certain I made the security a little nervous with how many times I went around on these little walkers. But in and also too, the Tower of London is where if ever you wanted to do a tour with the beef eaters, that's where you get a tour done with those gentlemen dressed in those little I don't know, cocky, if you will, uniforms at the Tower of London. Okay. So <laughs> I London is so packed. I mean, you can't be two thousand years old and not have 
a tremendous amount of history. I mean, I, I've literally had my choice of different places for you to see. And to be honest, I mean, I have to come back to London. We haven't even talked about haunted pubs. We haven't even talked about the Langham uh, Hotel, which is well known to be haunted. But these are just some of the places in London that you can visit and enjoy and hopefully have a paranormal experience. All right. So that is all I have for you tonight. On to business. Facebook, Facebook, Facebook. I have a Facebook page, and if you are curious and would like to check it out, send me a request. However, in the meantime, if you have a place that you would someday like to see where their dark corners are or have a specific tourist attraction, like in London, that you want me to cover, send me an email at wherethedarkcornersare at gmail.com. But until next time, please remember, only the few can find the beauty in the darkness, which is why I hope to meet you where the dark corners are.